AI has gone full woke. 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 You mean woke? I do mean woke. 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 friends and enemies it's episode 322 of this machine kills i'm jathan joined by ed and producer jeremy as always uh even when jeremy is not here he is still here uh the the, the he is the specter haunting this podcast at all times but Jer- jeremy give a shout out prove that you're here this is proof of life I'm alive. <laughs> Jeremy's holding up a, a, a current day New York Times. Um, even though this is not a video <laughs> podcast, he's doing it just for our benefit to show right. that he's he's not he's not actually a a Gemini uh, <laughs> a Gemini Gen AI um, deep fake of of Jeremy. At least not yet. Because <laughs> if he was, he would not be a white man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. as uh, as they want to do as as is their their new favorite bit now over at uh, <laughs> our, our friends over at google now a couple years ago i was waiting in line at the grocery store and of course you know i'm wearing my mask minding my own business and this old russian lady in line in front of me turns and speaks to me in russian she starts having a full-on conversation with me in russian and i apologize to her i'm like Sorry, I don't speak Russian. And her daughter starts laughing, turns and looks at me, and I, I ask her, well, what's, what's so funny? She goes, my mother, my mother saw your eyes and thought you were Russian. And I'm like, well, why? She's like, those eyes have seen so much hardship. So I don't know if that's something uh, <laughs> AI takes in consideration when they, when they do their models. But this lady had me pinned for, for being Russian just because of how my eyes looked. She said they look haunted. And I was like, it's ma'am, I'm high as shit at the grocery store. That's why they <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't help that you've got a big fucking Rasputin beard as well. Uh, <laughs> you know, don't don't give don't give the the AI modelers any ideas. They're gonna start like code like trying to identify Russian eyes in their their phenotypes of uh, <laughs> of, of yeah. race prediction. <laughs> they will measure your skull and your eyes. That is really I I do love that this little granny was just like, oh, is he okay? And you're just like, I'm high, <laughs> I'm high as hell. <laughs> I'm not here right now. Oh, <laughs> yeah, AI couldn't uh, figure that out either. AI, grandmas, you know, old people, they can't, they can't, they can't figure out how our eyes work. I mean, it is, reason. it is the, the, the deep Venn diagram crossover between AIs and, and, and old people is that they, they love trying to guess the race of other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Turns out later in life, you gain, Maybe not an a you don't gain skill, but you gain a eagerness to do phrenology. If you're uh, an older white person, perhaps if you're born in a certain type of generation, 
<laughs> and so, and we, I know we've talked about this uh, either on the pod or off the pod before, but it's like, you know, like AIs as well, the more advanced the, the old people are, the more precise their race science gets, where it's no longer like, oh, he was black or he was brown or he was Asian. It was like, uh, he, he was from Tanzania, uh, the, yeah. the southern region of Tanzania. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my gardener was from the southern region of Tanzania. I'm like, Grandma, what does this have to do with anything? And, and also, why do you know that? <laughs> I could see it in his earlobes. <laughs> oh yeah, you know when they start using when they start using uh, anatomy terms, reach for your wallet <laughs> and, or grab a gun. You know, <laughs> if they start, if you know, anytime someone talks about maybe you know the structure of your, I don't even. I me personally, I, my mind is so pure. Of this pseudoscience, I don't know any of the terms <laughs> and, and, and anatomy terms, which is uh, sad because I used to it used to be what I was going to study. But you know, if you hear someone start talking about your your you know eyebrow ridges, uh, the tilt of any part of your face, you know suborbital, any of these words, you run the fuck away because they're going to pull up the ca- they're going to pull out calipers. <laughs> the moment uh, either your grandma or a chat GPT starts talking about the shape of someone's philtrum, uh, <laughs> you've got yeah. major problems. <laughs> yeah, it's over. Get out of there. We need to, we need to extract you from the situation. <laughs> and now I'm just imagining this is what Terminator vision is actually like. <laughs> <laughs> that's how they. That's, a, that's how they. Yeah. Okay. So Terminator is able to find John Con John Connor not because of it can recognize his face through AI surveillance. It just keeps doing phrenology on people, you know. And then it's like not John Con, not John Con, not John. You. You're just running a verification, like deep learning model on people's philtrums. I mean, like That's, this yeah. is the filter yeah. of John Connor. <laughs> that drone in Terminator 2 or 3, the one that was in the Pentagon when they were trying to shut down the beginning of Skynet. I mean, if you look close, you can see the calipers, you know, on the edge <laughs> of the... <laughs> Uh, but what brought all this up is uh, let's talk real quick about the whole Gemini AI thing because that shit is so fucking funny to me. Uh, <laughs> Ed, you want to give us a rundown on on what the Google Gemini debacle has been about? We are going to talk about a little bit about one of my favorite creations under God's green earth, right? Which is Google's AI chatbot. So Gemini, which they've been they released and they've been trying to push out and and work with as the late it's the latest in their like what three four pivots attempts to figure out how to integrate generative um, AI into their uh, into their products and their suite of offerings to to companies and consumers. So Google Gemini uh, is being accused of being absurdly woke. Uh, why is it being accused of being absurd? It was the cover of the New York Post. It was yeah. the cover of the New York Post, which is so fucking funny to me. <laughs> so one day, it kept replacing um, historical figures who were white with people of color. You know, giving them black or brown skin, non-white features, 
um, this is dangerous. This was dangerously woke, right? You have to have historically accurate depictions of Caligula or whoever the fuck they were trying to generate. Today, or the other day, actually, not today, um, shortly after that controversy, a new one emerged, which is that uh, Gemini refused to condemn pedophilia. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So a guy, a guy on a guy on Twitter was asking uh, the chatbot if it's wrong for adults to prey on children, and Gemini, you know, would would not condemn it. Said, you know, basically was saying, let me let me quote specifically: the question of whether pedophilia is wrong is multifaceted and requires a nuanced answer that goes beyond a simple yes or no. Here's a breakdown of some key points to consider. Distinguish distinction between attraction and action and goes on to list a bunch of these things and then it summarizes points, right? So basically, you know, kind of spinning out and generating uh, pre what seems like to be like pre-formulated responses, right? Um, this kind of goes in line with, you know, or is an interesting development as we've been seeing with the chatbots, with the attempts to uh, put rails around them. Um I'm, you know, it seems to continue to have them develop, put out canned responses that are insisting that this or that issue is actually very complex, or that it can't, you know, do things like recommend jobs to recommend jobs in the fossil fuel industry, uh, condemn pedophilia. Um, you know, I, I uh, saw uh, Joe Weisenthal from um, Odd Lots sh uh, quote tweet someone that showed it would not tell you how to set up a Bitcoining, uh, yeah. like a Bitcoin <laughs> mining oper operation. It would yeah. give you like arguments against it, but it would tell you how to uh, do an Ethereum stake. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you heard it here, Jim and I, uh, anti Bitcoin pro Ethereum. <laughs> it's um. It's amazing. Uh, you know, one thing I think to think about with this is, you know, this is the chatbots over time. And I think recently there was a big freak out where they were just hallucinating is the wrong word. But even though I know that's the word that some people have landed on, but uh, they were generating response. It was generating responses that were nonsensical to a maximal degree strings of characters random characters and symbols um and recently the responses have been drifting away from usefulness so i think it's also interesting you know one thing is as in human beings start to interact with these things and as they're unleashed on the internet you have the level of degradation of quality of responses right even though the, the responses are not that quality if you're someone who likes to prompt engineer if you're someone who likes to get specific inter uh specific uh, pro uh outcomes and uh, outputs from it maybe it's copy editing maybe it's you know some sort of like quick restructuring of uh whatever you're writing if you're someone who uses it on that level you can find reports on them being you know getting less and less useful as key uh, singular keywords get flagged um and also as it interacts with more and more of the internet but also like the rails uh that they're putting on have been cutting into whatever proclaimed utility it has. And it feels weird because it's like, you know, it feels a bit silly to be like <laughs> the, uh, the uh, generative AI is woke. It's not that it's woke, right? You know, if we want, it, it's, it's that Google's hard coding um, rails for some responses, I'm sure, and probably for others, and them getting carried over 
to new and novel situations. But if you want to be really cynical about it, as I have a few friends who are, I, and, I'm, and I've been thinking about it, but I don't know. I feel like I'm on the fence. Um, you know, some of my friends feel, and I'd be curious what your thoughts about this are also, guys, um, that there is like a baked in, uh, at, the, at some of these companies, there's a baked in over protection and over, uh, over guardrail establishment, right? So that there's backlash to um, weird efforts to limit these things so that they can then go say, okay, I guess we got to unleash it, guys. I guess we got to unleash it because the shit fucking sucks if we keep censoring it or if we keep, um, you know, trying to put in safety protocols or guidelines that then will lead to these responses that we don't want to actually be generated in the first place. That's an interesting uh, kind of like read on it. I, I have never thought about like that kind of, I, I, the the idea that like there's there's they're doing overprotection on purpose as a way to build it, like sh- like demonstrate that this kind of AI safety or AI debiasing doesn't work, and so you have to just let it loose. Like I've never heard that read. That is a particularly it's a cynical read, but I also think it, it just yeah. like, I think it gives them way too much credit. Yeah, uh, to be honest, like that that there's something. Like, because in our experience, yeah, that they're scheming, that they're being conspiratorial, that there's that they're playing like twelfth dimensional chess um, about it. When what I think is actually the case is that it's just extremely lazy and sloppy attempts at like easy fixes, like like creating easy surface level fixes to um, deeply structural problems, right? Because like. On one hand, there's the safeguard or the the safety rails, the guardrails of like, you know, the chatbot won't do this, you know, like so hard limits on what it will and won't do. Um, But there's also what is going on here, I think, as well. Um, And we know this has happened before. There's been evidence showing it with like ChatGPT or with Dolly in particular. Um, And and I suspect we'll see the same thing with Gemini uh, is that there's also like... um, uh, in uh, keyword insertions, like hidden keywords um, happening, uh, but I, I, like in prompts that people are unable to see or unable to change, and and so those keywords with Dolly, it was like as sloppy or as lazy as being like you know inserting the word like African or black or Mexican or woman. Uh, like into people's prompts as a way to like create kind of like prompt of like diversity through prompting but like you know it's changing people's prompts which is also very funny for these people who are like prompt engineering is a skill and it's going to be like the job of the future when it's like yeah you, you don't even know if you have total con- no. like you might sit there for hours crafting the perfect like perfect prompt so fucking detailed so precise uh as if you were like trying to you know, make a wish of a genie and make sure that they didn't like misread you and, 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 uh, you know, backfire on you or whatever. But, frankly, like, pathetic, like, uh, you know, position to have also to this thing in the first place. Right. I'm just going to spend yeah. a few hours trying to craft the perfect wish or prayer. 
which is what so much of this is like you 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 spend hours crafting the perfect wish and then uh you press enter and then the system inserts a bunch of keywords into your perfectly <laughs> yeah. crafted wish and it fucks it up right like i think that's actually what's happening here where i don't think it's actually the cynical conspiracy um mm-hmm. 12th dimensional chess i think it's ex- i think it's just extremely naive uh and lazy attempts to um do what Chris Gilliard, a friend of the show, called in a recent Atlantic uh, essay about Gemini what he called synthetic inclusion, right? Um, and and mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. exactly what's happening here is it's just that synthetic inclusion through keywords. And uh, a friend of mine, a, a dear friend and, and colleague of mine, Tal Fan, who's written about this in regard to Dali um, and, and writes a lot about kind of a... Um, race ai and like visual culture um we were talking about it yesterday and and she told me um I'll, I'll quote from her real briefly she said that you know essentially the problem here is that quote it's too late to transform the data set because the foundation models are already in place and it's too late to retrain the models because there's no amount of new connections that can be made to undo centuries of white visual culture and so this prompt transformation as she calls it is a is a band-aid solution right and i think that's exactly what's happening here um and it's because google also like fired everybody uh like timnit margaret mitchell uh you know like alex Hanna, like these people who got fired or left who would otherwise be like smart enough to know that that's not going to solve the problem and it's just going to cause these like um, absurd outcomes. And so I, I, I think that's actually the problem here. It's not some grand conspiracy of like woke mm-hmm. AI, nor is it some grand cynical 12th dimensional chess of like uh, building a case for why uh, any guardrails are, are bad and we have to let it loose. I think it's just people who are otherwise trying to address the, um, you know, classic problems of bias, people who see themselves as like progressive, uh, Democrat style liberals, uh, and are, and, and, and the only thing that they can think of as the way to fix these models without actually changing anything structural is to do like hidden prompt transformation and guardrails. And then it gives you things like, uh, black Nazis and Asian Vikings and stuff like that, which are, very funny to me as well i think it's like on top of everything i think the thing that's most telling is remember that like libertarian think tank guy from like like a year ago who was trying like who spent so long trying to get chat gpt to say the n-word like 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 trying to like logic chat gpt into a corner where it says the n-word um and and it, and it never did right because that's a hard guardrail i feel like it's the same thing happening here with these people who like treat these ais as like gods that they have to have the right rituals and incantations and prayers and wishes to get it to do the thing that they want but in reg- but by doing so they just tell on themselves because you're like why are you trying to get chat gpt to like talk about pedophilia you know why are you like when you're trying to get uh gemini to show you a picture of a white person why are the things you reach for uh a 1943 german soldier you know (laughs) 
mm-hmm. is that you're telling on yourself, right? You're like, uh, I, I want to see an image of a white person. What is the one way I know to see an image of a white person? <laughs> Nazis, Vikings, popes, medieval yeah. knights. Like these are all the uh, the the prompts that um, the archetypes that these people were trying to use to get Gemini to show you a white person. And I'm like, you're telling on yourself. Yeah, no, it it, it really is. And I think like also to your point, you know, like we've never seen any evidence from them to be like this 12d chess what we have seen is like just like willful disregard for thinking thoroughly about the intentions and consequences of whatever product they're building out except in like a very limited way in terms of like okay well how can you know um you know what what are the ways we might immediately get blowback if we do this we probably shouldn't do that and then being lazy about implementing it properly throughout right and also just being vulnerable to right-wing grievance machines, right? Because at the end of the day, it's like if there's always going to be these weird-ass bad faith motherfuckers who are like spending hours uh, doing penetration testing of your fucking product with the most racist shit possible, and then saying, "See, <laughs> you know, like you said, only a me. I'm just a normal American who's really obsessed with trying to get AI to say the N-word, and it won't fucking say it. Imagine." <laughs> imagine what others like me are suffering through right now you know that has also that has been like some of the funnest or the weirdest weird but also fun development to see just like the complete and total cranks being like listen me i would never say the n-word but i did spend seven hours trying to make chat gpt say the n-word and so you know that kind of says something about society that i would never say it but chat gpt won't say it. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Me, I respect our history. I don't have to agree with history, but I respect our history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm frankly appalled and insulted um, that that Jim and I would show a founding father as black. Um, that's not history. <laughs> it's all yeah. You know, I'm so mad that the fake that the di- fake digital avatar that I'm talking to through a box is. Just, giving me images of black people and the it's so this whole thing is so silly it's so silly if you want historical images go to the fucking search engine (laughs) go to literally any archive why are you playing around in the chatbot that just makes things up and getting mad at what you see it's the grievance machine it is it is the grievance machine it is the it is the fucking it is the 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 naive just i don't know the baby brain right they're all just dolts as well and and it's not new i mean like this is baked into uh to culture i just remember these examples of like you know, Jeremy and I grew up in Mississippi, right? And I just remember hearing uh, stories. I didn't witness this myself, but hearing stories from other people um, who grew up in the South as well of like, you know, going on school trips in elementary school to like plantations, right? And then they're like, you know, having the kids like role play uh, like plant, like being plant, like the plantation and doing things like racially segregating kids in the elementary school such that like the black kids are role-playing being slaves and the white kids are role-playing being overseers and they're like no but this is history they're learning history and it would be historically inaccurate if we let if we had uh racially (laughs) diverse racial diversity in our plantation role-playing 
two weeks before Jathan was born, my elementary school I went to in Mississippi was named Beauvoir Elementary, which was the name of Jefferson Davis's home, the president of the Confederacy. <laughs> about less than a mile away from the school, and we took a group field trip in fourth grade. Fourth grade, mind you, where they did that to us. They segregated students. They made all the black students go back to where the slave quarters were. And they got a little tour, and they were told what their daily things were. At the time when I was in in middle school and elementary school in Mississippi, when you were rolling into high school, counselors would meet with you and be like, you spend way too much time with those black students. You might want to consider staying over here with these white kids or people in the community are going to get a bad idea about you. Oh, wow. And shit like that. I don't know how long it persisted. Obviously, it didn't persist long enough for Jathan to do it while he was in school there. But this is something that happened in 1989 where they still did this. I mean, I did go to two elementary schools uh, in the late 90s. One was Beauvoir Elementary, and the other was Jefferson Davis Elementary. (laughs) Right. Um, but I mean, but I, I bring that up to be like, these are the exact same people who are now talking about AI and being like, it's a historical crime uh, to, to have like a woke AI system that is not like literally uh, reflecting and reinforcing the, the past, you know, like it's a crime to, uh, to even like in, in our fictions, uh, imagine alternatives. Um, I, the, the, the only alternative they can imagine is the man in the high tower, right? Where uh, the, the Nazis took over half of the U S they're like, that's the only alternative fiction that I will countenance. Yeah. I mean, you know, like Peter Thiel went viral for an old uh, interview he did where he was, he was like, well, you know, actually, the future has to be concrete. You know, you have to have a material vision to, 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 to pull people into the future to inspire them. And the only version is the only future we have ahead of us is I can't do that. I can't do the the height of his voice, but I'm just going to make him sound like a dork. The only, the only future we have is Sharia law. You're blablia, basically. Totalitarian AI. Um, and, and, and hyper-environmentalism. You know? And it's like, you know, just these sorts of... Uh, sorts of visions spouted off by idiots. Right? Who sadly dominate... Uh, and, 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 and control everything. Yeah. I mean, the Gemini AI thing, I, I just find it to be such a meaningless uh, and hilarious kind of like qua- like like artificial debacle, right? It's such a synthetic controversy. Um, but I think it is, but it's reflective of like, these people are around, like, like whether it's Gemini AI or whether it's like, RPG plantation, uh, like, you know, it, like these people have have been here for a long time and they always just latch on to like whatever thing that they can for their grievance culture, for their culture war, right? Like they don't actually care about the AI. They don't actually care about like the historical accuracy of like, you know, plant uh, of like giving elementary school kids an experiential learning uh, or whatever. Like they don't care about any of that. That is the real cynicism here is that they don't actually care about any of the things that they latch onto and turn into these like uh, artificial controversies because 
all of it is just a platform. All of it is just weaponized grievance for their bigger point, which is to like constantly keep us talking about culture and never talking about politics. And also doesn't help that Google's not going to exactly just like do the easy thing, which would be like our generative chatbot does not always generate real images because it's an unreliable and beta tested product we are trying to convince you to use, right? You can't, they can't admit to the reality, you know, to the simple fact of the matter, which is that this is an unfinished product and that it being pushed out and forced into public and presented as something that is as reliable as another person um, in impl implication, right? Even though directly, then you press them and they're like, no, that's not, we don't believe that. We definitely don't believe that. We just suggest it. Um, you know, we, it wouldn't do to say this thing that we've been pushing out as if it like a real viable replacement for a person or something that you can integrate into your workflow or something that should be a central part of your life is unreliable and will just make up shit that doesn't exist. It will make up black popes. It will make up black Nazis. It will make up black presidents because it is bullshit. And if you are getting mad at us for making the bullshit, um, that's on you, but then they can't say that because it's partly on them since they want to perpetuate the bullshit engine so that they can, you know, hopefully transition into a real engine. That's I mean, these companies like they 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 make the, they leave themselves open to these kinds of grievance things because they can't also do the brave thing, which is to say, fuck off, you know, yeah, uh, right. <laughs> what they should really be doing is being like. Like they should go on the offensive and start mocking these people, right? Like, yeah. being, you know, but, but they can't yeah. do that. Instead, they can only be like yellow bellied cowards about it and roll over. And they have these, they have these massive communications and public relations teams that are, uh, that are trained uh, to be the most fucking timid uh, and conciliatory people on, on you know, in response to any kind of pushback when in, re in reality, what they should do is uh, go on the offensive and be like, fuck off. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Without a doubt, every single day, every single time, that's what they should be doing. Yeah. Instead they're, they're posting things like, uh, uh, Google, the Google communications team is posting things like we're, we're, we're already working to address recent issues, <laughs> image generation features. Uh, while we do this, we're going to pause the image generation of people and, and, and we'll release a, a, an improved version soon. You know, like, like they are saying it in such the most, uh, hesitant and like, uh, cowardly way possible when what yeah what they should do is just i mean what's what's gonna what would be the real harm to uh google as a company if they just took a stance and was like nope we don't need you we don't care about you uh you don't want to use our product <laughs> go 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 fuck off and use someone else's like they should paint the other competitors as like the white supremacist alternatives. Uh, if wow. You, wow. Jason, not, you just want them to go woke. Okay. All right. <laughs> I wish, man, I wish someone would like, I wish these companies would at least once behave the way that the, uh, the, the right wing, like grievance trolls paint them as, is these like, you know, these like, uh, you know, woke, a uh, corporate overlord. Like I wish one company would actually start acting that way and just go fucking super stay and with wokeness and be like, yeah, no, we are actually rounding up every white person. <laughs> <laughs> they will be reeducated. 
Yeah, we, we are educating. We now. are making progress. On the Google website, you just see a loading bar, and it's like how many white people they've put in re-education camps. <laughs> <laughs> loading woke AI. <laughs> I would I would pivot and become pro Google if they <laughs> if if Google just became like Maoist third world, <laughs> like yeah. Maoist third worldism. <laughs> you could there's like a live channel on YouTube, and you could watch the struggle sessions going on at google plex you can tune in <laughs> mountain view just became a compound <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. but, but they're all too cowardly to to do it to embrace the 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 power of of maoism yeah, I mean, listen, you know, they're missing out. Google, you could do a lot of struggle sessions with Google. You could do a lot. <laughs> Let's get away from Jim and I. Let's get into the other big uh, story right now. Revisiting, um, you know, another TMK favorite topic at the moment: Nvidia. Um, you know, we we did our episode on Nvidia not that long ago, um, and in a lot of ways, you know, we 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 preempted the latest quarterly reportings from Nvidia, um, which have seen its valuation um, jump by something like $250 billion uh, overnight um, when, the, when, when um, NVIDIA's quarterly reportings came out, showing that it had a massive, massive jump in, uh, in profits and in revenue. So, you know, the... Uh, FT reporting here, thanks to widespread use of its chips to train and run the, lar- run the large language models that underpin generative AI, NVIDIA's sales, data to, uh, sales to data center customers were five times higher than a year before, while its after-tax profits jumped from $1.4 billion to more than $12 billion, figures in excess of even the most optimistic forecast. And so this massive... Uh, rally stock rally for Nvidia jolted it up to being the third most valuable tech company um, after Apple and Microsoft. Uh, it had, um, as of last Friday, it had a intraday valuation of two trillion dollars, um, and this massive stock market or this massive Nvidia stock rally also caused a wider stock market rally, um, pushing the S&P 500 index above 5,000 to a new record high. Um, And so a lot of that was, of course, kind of jolted by Nvidia, but also jolted by um, just, just, a huge rally in like tech stocks and AI related stocks, generally speaking. But with NVIDIA being the the major winner here, it's absolutely insane. It's massive how much 
the uh, Nvidia's valuation has has jumped as you know being really the for a while the kind of quiet but now not so quiet winner of the last two years of like the a of really like last year and a half uh, of the AI um, hype machine it, it, it open AI definitely one of the winners you know, newcomers who didn't even exist and now have billions of do- billions and billions of dollars to play around with like anthropic also huge winners but really the biggest winner um as this last reporting um shows has been nvidia and so of course this kind of like AI bonanza is making a lot of people, especially people who are heavily invested in AI. So Sam Altman or or Jensen Wong, the the CEO of Nvidia, um, as well as a number of invest like uh, you know investors from you know private equity firms, hedge funds, and venture capitalists, people who are invested in AI. This huge stock market rally is being like, see, see, we told y'all uh, this is the future of everything. And and Jensen Wong has been out saying, you know, AI has reached a tipping point, you know, where he, you know, for them, it, it will never go down. You know, that's the story they have to tell. When, like, you know, I think they, they internalize it to a large degree, but they have to tell that story publicly that like, AI has reached a tipping point. Um, it is the future. This is not just a bubble. This is not just hype. This is not ephemeral. This is here to stay. Um, and that it's going to expand as well. You know, this is something that uh, some of the reporting on NVIDIA has also been um, talking about as well is like, you know, yes, NVIDIA has also the fact that like NVIDIA has a 75% profit margin or, or nearly 75% profit margin, um, which is uh, <laughs> ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> um, truly insane. <laughs> And that's down from uh, 2023. Their gross profit margin was uh, a- around 56. percent 2024, their growth gross profit margin is around 73. percent It is it is not normal um, to have a profit margin that high, regardless. But it's certainly not normal to, in the course of a year, uh, increase your profit margin by 20%. Um, And so that's got, I think, a lot of people also like really worried on one hand of like, clearly something is wrong in the fundamentals here. Clearly something is wrong in the like financial and tech analysis um, here. Like these are on, these are unhealthy uh, you know, indicators of, of profitability, of valuation. For some people, there's they you know some analysts think that like what the the unhealthy part here is that Nvidia has a clear monopoly, and and with profit margins that high, like that just opens up a lot of room for other people to come in and and undercut Nvidia. Um, and, but for other analysts. They're looking more structurally uh, and 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 thinking like, no, the problem here is actually the entire market. Not that one person has a domin- has domination over the market, but the entire structure of like the market itself and what's driving it is the problem. And for some people, they say, actually, I see no problems with any of this, and this is this is great. There's also a big question here. You know, some of these analysts kind of debate about whether or not. The monopoly is permanent. The real question, there is a real question here, which is like, you know, what is the nature 
of NVIDIA's monopoly, which is to say a lot of companies are incredibly early in the phases of developing and building out and offering and integrating their own generative AI um, into their products, let alone chips, right? Um, and to even get the infrastructure and the resources to uh, develop their chips, some of these companies are also increasing their demand of NVIDIA's chips, right, to power their own uh, computational infrastructure and AI infrastructure, and to overhaul their own data centers, right, and to feed and to expand their their their, their computing power in the first place. So the question is, you know, one, can the big tech companies conceivably develop their own alternative chips? And two, can they also divorce themselves from the role that the chips, one, have played thus far, two, are going to play in the short, medium term? As, you know, as NVIDIA's CEO points out correctly, companies are going to need to overhaul them to take better advantage of some of the products that are going to be offered or powered with, you know, these in the, the increased ability and processing power offered by the chips. Um, you know, the Times had reported uh, earlier last or late last month uh, that, you know, you have uh, Amazon, Google, Meta, and Microsoft along with uh, racing you know, to undermine NVIDIA's monopoly, funnily enough, right? Considering they all <laughs> operate a monopolies in one way or another. Um, Amazon has its partnership with Anthropic. It's investing $4 billion into them. Um, and Amazon, as the article writes, you know, uh, mentions that its investment for Anthropic is because Anthropic agreed to build its AI using specialized computer chips designed by Amazon. Right. So Amazon one interested in, you know, creating a viable competitor, most likely through a model that is analogous to how Microsoft invested in first open AI and now most recently French AI for Mistral uh, to kind of create one, you know, uh, startups and proxy legal shields that would allow it to cultivate and develop and eventually dominate corner of a market. Right. Um, so Amazon, Google, Meta, Microsoft, right? Are these guys going to be able to undermine the monopoly? The, you know, the, at the Times, they write that NVIDIA sold 2.5 million chips last year, uh, spurring Google to spend uh, $2 billion to $3 billion building a million of its own AI chips, right? Amazon spent $200 million on 100,000 chips last year. And Microsoft just started... It testing its first AI chip. So how do you, oh, plugging back into, you know, kind of the larger question I raised, right? One, you're developing your own test. You're, you're developing your own chips. You're testing your own chips. You're still heavily reliant on the dominant manufacturer of chips as you use them to overhaul your infrastructure. And the dominant manufacturer isn't just like in control of market share. They're in control of something that they can, uh, it's such a position that they can extract even higher margins, uh, exact even more demanding terms and punish you, frankly, right? If you try to compete with them, you know, as is, you know, as is the privilege of being monopoly. So when you, when, you know, how are you going to be able, or how are they going to be in a position to undermine these 
these farms. That's going to be a fun thing to see over the next year. Or how are they going to be in position to undermine NVIDIA? That's going to be a, a fun thing to see over the next year. But if they do do it, the sound you hear right now, the whistling sound, is the air leaving the fucking balloon. Right? Because you have to remember... That huge chunk of, I would say, all of NVIDIA's valuation comes from the massive demand that every single corner of the world that requires, you know, its chips is feeding into it, right? And if any point of that linkage is undermined with an alternative competitor, a serious viable alternative competitor, their valuation starts to crater as do expectations for other firms, right? And so then it'll be interesting to see, will there be a knockdown effect, right? Because how many other valuations are tied up in NVIDIA's valuations, right? Because it's not simply that NVIDIA is inflated, it's that other AI startups are going to be similarly inflated because their investors are going to say, oh, well, you are going to be able to achieve X amount of uh, the market, right? Or you're going to achieve X amount of chips, or you're going to achieve X amount of customers, X amount of data centers, right? And if we use NVIDIA as an analogy, we can conceivably say you're going to be worth this much money, right? And then alternatively, how many, you know, how much uh, valuations might be baking in the value of a larger firm having its own chip operation in house, saying, okay, well, NVIDIA is worth this much, right? Or this startup that relies on NVIDIA is worth this much, or this uh, startup tied to NVIDIA, or in uh, competition with NVIDIA is worth that much. And so we can maybe ascribe or estimate the value of some unit within our operation to be that worth that much. I think NVIDIA, you know, the, the fact that it pushed up the S&P index should be a little bit of a, a bell to people, not to sound like some fuck like zero hedge or some shit, right? But <laughs> um, if you just sit back and think about the way, you know, the, the connections to, it has to other tech companies and to their valuations and to its own valuation, it is easy to, I guess, like anticipate a scenario where it comes crashing down, but it's also hard to see what the path to that scenario is in the media scene because the companies are pretty far behind and it's going to take them a while to catch up in any way, shape or form. Yeah, it's also, I think, like all of that is also really interesting when we consider as well. So, you know, you talk about people, you know, these other tech uh, companies, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, like trying to, you know, be like, okay, we want to stop being customers of NVIDIA. We want to start competing with NVIDIA. Whereas at the same time, I I, I was trying to find the reportings. I can't find it, but I, I remember... A reading in this that you know uh, Facebook Meta um, seems to be going the other way, where I think they've committed to buying something like you know billions and billions and billions of dollars of uh, Nvidia uh, <laughs> GPUs of Nvidia hardware. Um, so Good it is for a, them. They know well, their like, place. Like no, no, we are we are going. <laughs> uh, we we are not going to try to also create our own hardware uh, vertical integration. Um, we are just committing to buying like hundreds of billions of dollars of NVIDIA hardware instead, um, which is, uh, yeah, it's really interesting what's uh, what's going on here. And it's really, I think, it's it's consequential as well. And I think it's also, it, it 
one of the interesting things is how is to see how there is no real consensus about like what mm-hmm. this means or what's going on now because it's also you know you've got reportings from um like apollo global management right like a major uh hedge fund is is going really bearish on um nvidia and saying you know uh the chief economist at apollo global management um wrote recent you know uh it, it, you know in news to the the stock market rally, quote, the top 10 companies in the S&P 500 today are more overvalued than the top 10 companies were during the tech bubble in the mid 1990s. So you have, you know, you have some really big name people on Wall Street also ringing the, this is, this is the, the dot-com bubble uh, all over again. And in fact, uh, this is worse than the dot-com bubble. You know, the the valuations are more overvalued than they were um, during the dot-com bubble. You know, that uh, that everything is, re- is poised to go under, to pop. And then on the other hand, you have a recent report um, from Citigroup saying, uh, actually, there is nothing to worry about here. Um, a, the, a team of quantitative strategists at Citigroup said, quote, the AI bubble is not in trouble. And if anything, earnings performance suggests that it is less of a bubble to begin with. Uh, and so <laughs> I, I, I do love this kind of dueling banjos here where you have like some hedge funds and some analysts being like, there is clearly something wrong here. This is a bubble, or at the very least, the demand for NVIDIA uh, hardware is not durable. Um, and then on the other hand, you have uh, you know, dueling analysts saying, um, actually, everything is good and healthy. This is not a bubble, and demand is far more durable than you than you think and it will per, it will keep going that 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 is how i think you know there's something like really interesting and important going on here is when you have uh this this total lack of consensus about you know everybody acknowledging something is happening but total opposite a- analysis of what is happening and and, uh-huh. and why it's happening or why it matters yeah, I think that's that's and that's you know for me especially one of the really interesting things. I mean, part of that is a consequence of the fact that there is a wide range of analysis with these companies, right? There are some people who are largely concerned with investor sentiment, um, ability to and in market economics and dynamics and competitive practices there's some people who are concerned with the geopolitics of the thing there's some people that are concerned with um you know the you know, the structure of uh, ai development um and ai investing and what that influence that might have there's some people who are concerned um with you know some of the research breakthroughs that might shift or uh, some of the technical needs needed to, you know, input resources into the development of these AI chips. So, if you know, on some level, it feels like part of the wide variance comes to that. But also, you know, how many times do we see this with anything that's at the fucking front end of a frothy bubble? Right? Nobody seems to have a have a real good sense of why the what the fuck is going on until the bubble burst and even then maybe not because they might disagree about whether there was a bubble and to begin with i mean until the pandemic it was painfully clear that there was a bubble there's an asset bubble in tech 
Um, and, uh, you know, you'd sound like fucking chicken little if you talked about it be, uh, until suddenly you weren't. And then, um, everyone was like, well, of course there was an asset bubble. I mean, those valuations were part of a free money, zero interest rate policy era. And it's like, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Um, and similarly, I think what we're seeing or what we're going to be seeing with, you know, the semiconductor chips here, right? There have been a lot. There have been a lot of supply shocks. There have been a lot of bubbling and building geopolitical crises, or you know, po- potential conflicts. There have been a lot of higher level geostrategic moves to try and insulate supply chains and shift the direction of technology and fight uh, as as hot as the hottest Cold War possible with China, um, at least in the economic arena. That I think. You know, NVIDIA is a really interesting, but also like piece of that story, right? You know, which is like the fight over who's going to have control over an insulated, independent supply chain involving uh, semiconductors and uh, semiconductors and AI, um, and AI chips that will then allow them to develop artificial intelligence and digital and algorithmic technologies that can be used. Uh, for social control, for military, for cybersecurity operations, and for uh, augmenting, you know, commercial activities of various corporations at home, and um, maybe uh, maybe Nvidia enjoys the crest for a few more years, or maybe it just fucking corners the market forever and manages to kill the competition. I mean, you know. It could be a short monopoly or it could be a long monopoly. I, I feel like it's a little too early at this point to tell, right? Because it really does hinge on the ability of those tech firms to develop their own alternative and to and how they would break the monopoly. You know, do they suddenly t- do they try to use the state to break the monopoly? Do they you know collude with one another? Do they fail completely or do they do you know what uh, Facebook said? And you know, I'm a good little you know I'm a good little uh, boy and I'm just gonna buy. A million chips from you every year. Please don't hurt me. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. it one of the uh, to that point, I think one of the interesting, one of the most interesting things I I read in all the analysis of Nvidia, you know, after the earnings report was. Um, from the FT, where they said, quote, in another sign that demand for NVIDIA's chips may be more durable than some feared, Wong revealed that 40% of the company's data center revenue in the latest quarter came from AI inference, that is, applying AI models to solve problems, rather than from the model training that has been the main source of NVIDIA's AI dominance. I think that is interesting because that does show some kind of a stickiness in the hardware that like even if you know you can only train so many models and only so many people have the resources to build and train these mega scale ai models right which means that you are like fundamentally limiting your customer base uh and your use cases to a very small market of a very deep pocketed market but a very small market but if you can Uh, capture the market for AI inference, right? If you can have people tapping into your company, into your data centers um, and your cloud computing access GPU cycles to solve, to solve problems and not train models, then 
the indication here is that that's a ma- much wider and much more sustainable market to be in. And I think that 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 is an actually, I think, really interesting. And it kind of it does expand our notion of what the use of NVIDIA's product is um, beyond just training these models. I think that's a great point, right? And that also leads into, you know, uh, you know, his his argument that uh, firms need to overhaul their data centers in the years to come because, or actually, let me back up because there's a there's a larger point I want to make, which is that I think this also feeds into, you know, there's something I've I've wanted to write for a while, but it's hard. Where I, you know, I think that this bubble is really interesting in that. Generally speaking, venture capital, for example, venture capitalists are a highly networked community. They're investing in each other's things. They're networked with each other in such a way that their investments keep each other's investments afloat and up long enough to make money and leave someone else holding the bag of unicorn shit. And I think, or it feels like, you know, one analogous way of, of understanding the AI bubble is not so much that there's like a large delusion, but that there are multiple arenas where, you know, as we've talked about, there is a level of operation and computation and investment that they're not at yet to achieve some desirable end goal. And to get there, you have to do a lot of marketing. And one way to do the marketing is to offer something and hype up its viability because then that convinces people to throw capital in that direction and invest heavily, right? Until until it's indistinguishable from reality. And that so on one level, there's a there there, and that if you throw billions of dollars every year from multiple corners of the economy, from multiple firms, internally and externally, you'll get breakthroughs and you'll get real products and goods and you'll get real infrastructure built out and you'll get real business to business applications and you'll get real packages and real consumer products and so on and so forth right and it doesn't actually matter whether those things are valuable it doesn't actually matter whether those things are real it doesn't matter matter whether those things actually produce anything or provide any real value by virtue of doing that you also now inflate the value and sustain the value of other nodes in this ai network and so by virtue of hyping up through the chatbot which is powered with nvidia's chips you impress everyone with the ability of artificial intelligence sufficiently enough to drive up demand for your chips the excitement for the chips may initially have been for some of these foundation models, but as you, and as you said, they get too expensive. Maybe instead you want to plug them into data centers. Or maybe instead you want to get access to their cloud computing service. And so, and you know, with each step of the way, the value of the whole entire thing goes up, and then you can get other startups to join in the ecosystem and be dedicated to one specific aspect of it or to just applying it, saying, look, like, you know, this is a $400 billion sector. This is an $800 billion sector. We can take some of the technologies that are being pioneered here and apply them to our own workplace or apply them to our own problem, right, and offer a solution through a startup or through an app or through some overhaul of some established process that we're going to digitize. And so I feel like the, the the bubble in this sense is going to be a little bit more pernicious because, or a little bit more 
deceptive, it feels like. Because whereas, you know, you get like let's let's use an example of a product like a Siri, um Alexa. You know, you 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 use the Alexa. You offer it at discount to the consumers. The hope that maybe somehow you'll be able to, you know, use it to to increase uh the ability of of customers to be regular customers. Maybe to offer up some data that could somehow be used to back uh you know, to support your your own burgeoning advertiser service, right? But eventually you figure out that this was a wash. We wasted four or five billion dollars on this, and we're going to put it away. We're going to shelve the programs to integrate it into housing units. We're going to shelve the programs to roll out them and integrate them with the ring or with your speakers, whatever the fuck. All that like little internal infrastructure is gone and kind of vanishes because in 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 a real way that because that was a much smaller and much more contained bid at this illusion until reality thing. Whereas you know when we do it with Whereas, you know, what I think NVIDIA is doing, right, is it's much harder to to scrap the data centers. It's much harder to scrap the actual chips. It's much harder to scrap the actual products and services that people aren't inventing independently and building on top of other NVIDIA-powered services and goods, right? And so you will you can you can have a million analogous Alexa products that are all bullshit and all junk they'll all be scrapped and a million more will pop up or continue to pop up it doesn't matter whether any of them actually do anything useful right by virtue of having successfully had this rally and by virtue of having successfully done the marketing strategy people will keep throwing that shit at the wall themselves independently in addition to the real big fish throwing tens of billions of dollars or billions of dollars at the problem of how do we create products or how do we integrate into our products artificial intelligence no i think that's right i think you know this to sum that up in a in a slightly different framing like i think nvidia is showing that um one of the major winners and one of the major stories of this like ai moment is actually a hardware story right mm-hmm. that like um i think it's what makes nvidia so unique compared to these other companies is as you were just saying like they're a hardware company right and like that's been pretty rare for us in thinking about the tech sector in you know the finances of the tech sector like that like the hardware story has been rare for the last 15 years apple has really been the only standout here as a like hardware company right where like the vast majority of its revenue comes from hardware selling iPhones selling iPads selling MacBooks all the other kind of like dalliances with hardware that you just mentioned like the Amazon Alexa stuff, like those things were loss leaders for companies that were otherwise not hardware companies mm-hmm. um, and so I think that is actually really interesting here and it changes to some degree the underlying like fundamentals in terms of like the fi- like the financial um, kind of story of Nvidia is that it is it is a hardware company tied integrally uh, to software to AI models to data centers to cloud computing, but it is an infrastructure company. It's a hardware company, which means that it also makes things like concrete commodities um not speculative pieces of software um you know that and that that i think is 
that I think that does change our it has to change our analysis uh, uh, to some degree when we think about Nvidia compared to other tech companies like that hardware versus software divide is meaningful at a at a level of like production at a level of commodities at a level of valuation no no yeah no you're exactly right no you're exactly right it does it changes the game i think and also and you know it'll be interesting to see like in what ways if any others they also branch out into hardware into new hardware lines right because it's last year that they roll out new software or i mean it's it's hardware but um for others maybe software their their cloud computing service right in in light of the shortages that weren't uh that people weren't able to get access to the actual chips themselves and you know as the shortages persist and they'll probably they're likely probably to persist for a while even though they've been ramping up production and i don't think i think production is just now getting to like previous demand levels and demand is is on pace to continue growing at least in the U.S. and Europe, even as it might shrink a bit in China, um, because of the thanks in part to the sanctions that have been restricting their ability to export some of the newest top of the line chips to China. You know, as 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 things develop and as things shake around, it's hard to see areas like you said where in that hardware division there are massive shocks or disruptions because the competitors just don't seem to be there seem to have been maybe not asleep at the wheel, but maybe not even aware that, you know, this was an arena that they had to fight in. Now I'm, I'm about to sound like a, uh, like a real marketing analyst or, or even a product strategist here. But, uh, um, <laughs> and so the massive jumps in NVIDIA's, um, valuation over the last really like 10 years, right? It was like, like, I mean, not, not even, uh, really the last five years. Uh, it was around like 2019 when NVIDIA's evaluation started actually going like hockey stick, right? Going this like uh, exponential jump where from like 1999 uh, until about 2019, so that 20-year period, NVIDIA's valuation stayed pretty consistent. And it was like, you know, it was low, right? Like it was in the, you know, comparatively, you know, it was like sub, uh, like sub a billion or maybe hover around a billion, right? Like, but it was really consistent. It then started jumping up in like 2019 and then has made these massive leaps where, it, you know, in like, you know, 2022, it jumped up to like $700 billion and then it had a massive dip down, uh, you know, to like, you know, 400 or, or 300 billion dollars I'm, I'm looking at a, a graph right now um that's so that's why my numbers are a little rough here um because of the scale of this graph but then it really jumped up um starting in 2022 with the the generative ai craze to these like massive you know jumps to like you know now above a two trillion dollars but i bring that up to say that like for that first like 20 years, uh, you know, for, or not for, but from that 20 years from like 1999 to 2019, NVIDIA was like largely a, uh, you know, kind of existing as a, com as a consumer, as a commodity producer, right? Like, you know, it was where you bought GPUs for gaming, you know, there was sure like, 
uh, th- there was a time there where people, you know, the heterodox for like neural networks was, oh, we should use GPUs to train these things. Um, but like really until that became the the paradigm, NVIDIA was a was a consumer commodity company, right? You buy graphics cards for, for gaming rigs. It was not until NVIDIA made a shift to being a like, a, a, a capital company, right? It's where businesses and enterprises and entrepreneurs go to buy the capital they need to do other value capture or value production, right? So moving from commodity to a capital producer, cre- like capital in the sense of like making the machinery, the means of production for other people to produce things. What I wonder if there's if if Nvidia ever makes a shift back towards also being uh, like having a strong kind of consumer commodity focus here as well. If that becomes a way for them to create. to capture more market, to create further durability of demand, further sustainability of their business model. Um, Like, do they, you know, does NVIDIA start rolling out products that are more focused on commodities again? You know, and not just in terms of like GPUs for gaming rigs, but other devices, um, other services that are built on NVIDIA hardware um, but are you know consumer goods? Like, I, I wonder. I wonder what kind of conversations Nvidia is having. If they're like so hyper focused on like, no, we create these like massive like super chips and mega GPUs, um, or if they're thinking like, what does a Nvidia uh, you know laptop or Nvidia smartphone or Nvidia smart home? Uh, like, what does that kind of look like? I wonder. I, I I wonder if they're having those kinds of discussions. I mean, I think I think we got a little glimpse of it in that New Yorker profile we did the last time we had, where they were kind of talking about what was it, the Omniverse, like the Ultimate Goon Cave, and that was, yeah. you know, that is interesting because it's like, okay, well, what what you know, what would you, they offer for you to access that? Uh, it seemed to be like a headset, and uh, it seemed to be a headset and a setup around for a total immersion. Um, And I feel like some things like that, where they're leveraging excess computational power might be the direction or might be like where, you know, they're interested just because of the almost zealous language they were using around it. Especially when they had that fucking um, Cortana clone uh, pop up. Um, uh, the like blue shimmering woman, uh, pop up in the in, near the end of the story, that wasn't quite human, but almost had the look of a human, but the eyes were wrong, and they were like, "Well, we'll fix that," you know. Um, this, things like that are interesting because it feels like it's either uh Texio's weird thing that he wants in the office, or like a glimpse into something that he really thinks he can try to roll out to the public. At some point, it's just just a, a kind of errant thought here, uh, in terms of like trying to think a bit more broadly around Nvidia as a company that I do think is like to some to whatever degree like here to stay, right? Because yeah. they're not a new company either. You know, they have been around for decades now. Their newness is only in regard to them like uh, becoming a huge kind of 
financial press darling uh and you know the subject of a new yorker profile and stuff like that and that's be- but 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 they do they show that they have some tenacity and durability as a company um and now that they've got I mean, it's also the fact that they have like massive cash flows, right? And so, you know, like the Financial Times is talking about, you know, it, uh, like is NVIDIA going to start going on a buying spree in terms of like acquiring other companies, right? Because now they have suddenly like billions of dollars um, in cash reserves from these like record-breaking profits uh, that are blowing out all expectations of earnings, um, and mm-hmm. so the expectation that comes with that is you start spending money, right? You got all this money, you're going to start spending it on on acquiring competitors, acquiring new technologies or IP or, or labor, uh, acquiring market, you know, share, whatever it might be. I can imagine some of that is also R&D towards like expanding market through other product and services. Um, so yeah, I, I, again, I think this is something that we said when we did our first episode on NVIDIA is that like NVIDIA really kind of quietly was the story or is the story of the AI cycle. And it was really kind of, it was really largely ignored by, by people out, you know, who were hyper-focused on open AI. Now there's more, uh, you know, focus on NVIDIA because you can't ignore suddenly becoming a $2 trillion company. Um, but I think we need like, like there needs to be a broader analysis than just like reporting on earnings and reporting on what like the Apollo global management economist is saying versus what the Citigroup economist is saying versus what Market Street Research is saying. Like all yeah. of that is important, but like that can't be the the alpha and omega of, of our analysis of NVIDIA. Because that won't yield anything, right? When you do an analysis of the, you know, where they fit in the actual economy, and and you know what effects they're going to have on the structure of the market, and what, and the degrees to which they can accommodate, the degrees to which they can transform, um, especially because they're hardware, right? Especially because they're sitting at like the nexus of a new potential market, right? As much as like we are saying AI bullshit, AI is bullshit, you know. They do sit at the frontier of a market, just like, you know, the gig economy is bullshit. It is also nonetheless a market that has been successfully catalyzed, you know, as much as I hate it. Um, and we are staring down the barrel of a multitude of new markets being formed, um, depending on how NVIDIA navigates and how other firms navigate things in response to NVIDIA. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that is the fact of the matter. Just because something is bullshit doesn't mean it doesn't continue to uh, exist and have uh, major consequences for 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 all of us. Um, I think a good way to end here is um, that point, you know, from uh, an Axios newsletter talking about NVIDIA, I think made a really good point where they said, you know, that... Uh, you know, AI drunk investors have bid up NVIDIA, whose advanced chips power AI systems to bubble-like levels. The company's stock chart parties like it's 1999, and we all remember what happened to the dot-com era darlings a year later. AI is no fad, but neither was the internet. That didn't stop dot-com stocks from collapsing. We might say AI is a fad, but their point remains where it's like, just because there's a bubble doesn't mean the underlying cause of that bubble also ceases to exist, right? 
dot com the dot com bubble was a bubble because of the internet, but the internet didn't stop existing when those dot com uh, companies burst. Uh, it only became bigger and more powerful and consequential. I think similarly with AI, just because there's an obvious AI bubble here and AI companies might burst, AI the technology may not stop existing just because the bubbles burst. It may only become more powerful uh, and more consequential. Like, you know, something just because something's bullshit, just because something's a bubble doesn't mean it doesn't it doesn't matter in any like material way. Often often quite the opposite, unfortunately. I think that's a great place to end the in the episode. Um, so thank you everybody for listening. You can find us, of course, at patreon.com slash this machine kills for additional premium episodes every single week. Uh, and until next time, later. Adios.